Welcome to this week's podcast with actors Tracy Thomason and Sarah Griffin. I'm your host, Nano Taggart. Tracy is playing Gabriella in Boeing Boeing and is in the ensemble for Twelfth Night this fall season. She also played Mariana in Measure for Measure during the 2014 summer season. This is Tracy's first time here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, but she has performed a lot of Shakespeare in theaters across the country, including the American Shakespeare Center, Classical Theater Company, and the Houston and Arkansas Shakespeare Theater Companies. Sarah is playing Gloria in Boeing Boeing and Olivia slash Servant slash Ensemble in Twelfth Night this fall season. She also played Lucy Steele in Sense and Sensibility during the summer season. Many have seen Sarah here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival in previous years, playing characters like Ophelia in Hamlet, Laura Wingfield in The Glass Menagerie, Gretchen in Faust, and many others. Thank you so much, Sarah, Tracy. I know you're both busy. Uh, you're still in the ensemble for Twelfth Night. Yep. Yes. Right? And mm -hmm. you play two of the stewardesses right now in Boeing Boeing in the uh -huh. fall production. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk just a little bit about Boeing Boeing for maybe somebody that's on the fence, uh, doesn't know if they want to see this play. Um, there's, there's, some people have kind of an expectation of high seriousness. When they, when they come to the theater. It's true. It's true. Shakespeare yes. Festival, right? So could each of you maybe make a pitch on behalf of Boeing Boeing? Say, you, you have to see this play because... Sarah. Oh, me. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Um, I can't imagine someone coming to see this play being disappointed. Okay. Um, it is just a laugh riot. And... And no, there is absolutely no seriousness in it. Uh -huh. um, if there is, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> I think we've missed the boat. Oh man, it's just—it's so much fun to do, and I think it's even more fun to watch. Um, My—I had family in town the last couple of weeks, and they just howled, you know. And people just roll in the aisles, and it's great. It's so much fun, and it's. You know, you kind of get caught up in the scheme that's going on in the play, and you're yeah. sort of rooting for it. And then if you think too hard about it, you go, what am I rooting for? Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> this is terrible. you wanted yeah. to get caught in the, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just wickedly funny and delightful and zany and silly and very unexpected. Cool. I've heard the phrase, uh, laugh so hard till, till you hurt. Yes. Yeah. A few times. We, our houses have been incredible. Literally, awesome. it's yeah. like there are people rolling in the aisles. <laughs> they just get going and it just yeah. is unstoppable. Well, and Sarah makes a good point about it's fun to see, but it's also really fun for us to do. So uh -huh. we are on stage having a great time and laughing yes. with each other, admittedly, uh -huh. sometimes yeah. out of character. <laughs> and so that's really fun for the audience to get to see too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, laugh so hard to hurt. I, we do the same thing. Yeah, oh, cool. Absolutely. So you're enjoying it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of an interaction with the audience, and you're both absolutely oh, yeah. right on. Yeah, very cool. Very much so. Um, what What are some of the most challenging parts of playing, uh, you know, Gloria and Gabriella? The accents. Yes. Um, the physical comedy. Yes. Farce has kind of a almost a dance like physicality. Oh, it does. You know? It does. I think um, initially the accents were the first big hurdle. In in my mind, anyway, I was going, oh my gosh, Italian, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't speak any Italian. I haven't heard that much Italian. I've never been to Italy. Uh, okay, time to watch <laughs> Sophia Loren movies and, you know, work it out. And so that was the first 
big hurdle to jump over, but that has become so fun now. Mm -hmm. I, we do it all the time. I'm dri driving Sarah crazy because I can't <laughs> stop doing the Italian. We sit next to each other in the dressing room, so she just talks in Italian, and I just talk in New York. I'm pretty <laughs> sure Sarah got in my car this morning to come do this podcast, and I said, good morning. Yeah. So, you know, that's where we're at with that. Oh, that's terrific. How about for you, Sarah? Uh, yeah, I mean, the physical stuff, it is like a dance, and it is so precise. I mean, uh -huh. it's you know, from one to the next to the next and everything sharp and everything, but not looking like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you don't see the effort behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty fun. For me, it, it, one of the most challenging things I encounter in this play is what I eat. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah? And I'm not really? going to give it away. Oh, wow. For those who haven't seen it. But I will tell you that at the top of the play, I'm eating and drinking things, and I say what they are, and you should know... I'm really eating and drinking those things. Oh, wow. Mm. So this is a, like method acting in terms of like a diet. Well, That's incredible. <laughs> I did I did make what I what I eat in the play. I made it at home and yeah. practiced eating it <laughs> with my lines. Now, not exactly. I did a more uh -huh. traditional take on what I'm eating in the show. Cool. But um, You needed to learn to not make some like... Pouty face after well, taking a and bite, or how big of a bite I can take, and when I can take the bite. Anytime you're dealing with real food, oh yeah, you know, and speaking lines, yeah, and how much liquid I should tell them to put in the glass, and when right. I'm going to drink it, and you know, I have to make a sound effect with it, and so uh -huh. there's the right amount in the glass for the moment that I have to make the sound effect, which is cued by a word that Grant says. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> the degree to which you take your jobs home is yes. pretty incredible. That's <laughs> kind of what I'm getting. The anatomy of a bit uh -huh. is a right. common phrase in our yeah. rehearsal right process. On. I hear I hear a lot of people compare this play to Noises Off. Yeah. In terms of the, the movement, the, the slamming of doors, the, you know, situation kind of comedy. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Is it? Timing has got to be difficult, right? Because everything, so much depends on perfect timing, perfect cues. Amazing. You've got to have a good stage manager to keep this all together, right? Mm -hmm. Is that Was that a challenge in the rehearsal process? And No, we had a great stage management team. Cool. And Mindy was awesome. And Brian Summer, who is our ASM backstage, <laughs> uh -huh. we call him Magic Brian because he just makes things appear and disappear. <laughs> clothes, <laughs> shoes, bags, towels, food, whatever I you mean, need. It's just right there. Summoned. It's right there. Often yes. we end, you know, we make quick exits and re-entrances. Mm -hmm. So we'll have someone there to receive things that we're coming off stage with. So it's, you know, in the audience's yes. perspective, we've gone off stage and laid it down on the bed lovingly. But really, it looks like we come out the door, we throw it at Brian, and then we come back on stage. <laughs> and he might catch it in a lot laundry basket or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that actually happened in the, the last sort of curtain call part of the play. There's a, mm -hmm. a se sequence of events. And one of the things I have to, there's a big ball chair on stage. Yeah. And I run through the kitchen door with the ball chair. And actually, I run through the door, and I've got gum in my mouth, and I whip the ball to Ross, our other backstage crew person. He catches it, and he actually built a little shelf backstage so I could grab my next props that I need. So I chuck him the ball, I spit out the gum, and I grab maracas. And, <laughs> and it's, it's quite uh, a, yeah. <laughs> is it, uh, not not a bad way, I don't, I don't want this to sound negative, but is it kind of exhausting doing a show like this? Oh, I mean, it's absolutely. so physical and... Yeah. And, and something you were talking about with the cues, and, uh -huh. you know, it just requires a lot of actor focus. Yeah. You know, a lot of brain 
focused. Yeah. Every time I come off stage, and there's so many uh, re-entrances that are similar to previous entrances. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, okay, I'm slamming this same door for the third time. What is my cue this time? Yeah. And so really checking in mentally, you know, to go out on stage and have a great time and sort of let loose, but yeah. still live in the framework that we've built and then come off uh-huh. and check back in and say, okay, I know what the next entrance needs to be and what I have to do. What's my first line when I slam that door this time? You uh-huh. know? Yes. There was probably a lot of uh, maniacal laughter in the rehearsal process, oh. right? Oh, Because yeah. it takes a lot and of yelling. practice to get this right. <laughs> yes. I mean, it does indeed. It does indeed. Is yeah. it kind of a challenge to be uh, in a show that's carrying through from summer, you know, in the repertory format, and then to have to, boom, you're in the middle of a rehearsal process again, while, I mean, you're essentially carrying through Twelfth Night, you know, yeah. through the fall season. Mm-hmm. Um, well, our responsibilities in Twelfth Night are not overly large. Yeah. Um, ensemble stuff. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Which is helpful. Meaning, like, yeah. we don't have a lot of on-stage time. Like, when we're out there, we definitely have jobs to do. And yeah. Oh, absolutely. requires our focus and stuff. But mm-hmm. as far as, you know, like, line load, we have very minimal compared cool. to some other folks in our cast. But for me, I found that Twelfth Night, it was sort of, you know, amidst the chaos of getting Boeing, Boeing on its feet, it was like, ah, oh, yes, we get to do Twelfth Night now. Something that mm-hmm. I know and I'm very comfortable <laughs> with. Right on. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah and I, actually, being the two women in the ensemble of Twelfth Night, we're in the dressing room together and we have a lot of offstage time together. Uh-huh. So we started talking about Boeing and working on Boeing um, before even we went into rehearsals because mm-hmm. we had that time together during Twelfth Night. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah it was really fun. What's, uh, what's the relationship like? What? As performers, I mean, you're in the ensemble together in Twelfth Night, and then you're in this frantic farce. Is it? Is this? Does it carry over? Does it like affect the relationship you have off stage? Is it? Is it amazing? I mean, yeah. not yeah. a lot of people get to experience, a, you know, a friendship in this sort of environment. I think it might be kind of interesting if you could maybe, I don't know, tell a story or, or talk about what that's like. That's a that's a great question. One difficult part about this job. Uh is moving from place to place and working for different companies. And you sort of build families in one place and you become very close to those people because like you're talking about, you Mm -hmm. work together so intimately. And then oftentimes you leave. And, you know, this is a nice long contract. Um, Comparatively, there are contracts in the theater where you might go work for five, six, seven weeks. Uh So to be here in Cedar City for six months with the same group of people, Mm -hmm. it really affords a special opportunity to build friendships. Sarah and I didn't know each other before um, because I'm brand new to the festival but Sarah of course has a number of great friends here (laughs) because she's been here for several several seasons so it's been a great opportunity for me to really get to know Sarah and become friends with Sarah truly Because of the time that we've been able to spend. It's all an act. We're going to lunch afterwards. <laughs> she's, pay- she's paying. You really only tolerate each other. No, that's it's truth. terrible. It's just, <laughs> she's so hard to like. Yeah. No, it's great. And, and, you know, and living as we do, sort of in a complex right near each other, there's uh-huh. lots of opportunities to go play cards and watch movies and just come over and hang out. Like, we had a wine and cheese party a few weeks ago. and oh, just we did right Boeing going cocktails. We did do a Boeing going cocktail party. Which Aviators, is yeah. <laughs> we had a Berlin Blonde and an American Belle and a Sicilian Kiss. <laughs> all of our themed cocktails, which is really fun. But it's been great, you know? And I get to ride to and from the theater with Tracy every day, so we get to have, like, our own yeah. little girl talk in the car and walking around <laughs> and stuff. And, yeah, no, oh, it's really, it's incredible. It's, pretty great it's pretty yeah. special you know it's kind of like a little we haven't actually talked about that much with the performers yet it's kind of like a little city built in 
to the artistic and acting company at the festival, right? Because Certainly. most people are, you know, housed in or around Windsor Court. There, there are some exceptions, you know, obviously, but mm -hmm. so many, you know, talented, creative people are, boom, together for, like you say, as long as six months. It's got to be kind of amazing to be a part of a little community, even if it is only for, you know, a few months. Oh, yeah, it's great. Absolutely. You know, and there's lots of stuff that we do, like, um, you know, over the summer, people were having hoot nannies. Yeah. And playing music together and yeah. yeah just bringing instruments and people who had no you know musical background are picking up instruments for the first time and uh -huh. learning how to play them and singing and joking and doing skits it was sort of like our own little like idea ground for the cabaret sometimes yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah it's, it's it's really special you know it it's, it's a real treat to get to be right on yeah this is your first time, Tracy, you mentioned the Shakespeare Festival. Yeah. Uh, what's what's different here? Does anything stand out? It looks like you've got a lot of repertory kind of on your resume. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I came here from the American Shakespeare Center, where right. I was for two years, and, yeah. and pretty consistently. I had a couple of weeks off at a time during mm -hmm. that period. But so I was there working really intensely. That's a much smaller company. Mm -hmm. So it was a group of 12 actors doing five plays in rep together at a time. Wow. And so that is a really intense, intense experience. And here in Cedar City, I, I will say that Boeing has still been an intense rehearsal experience. It mm -hmm. still requires a lot of energy and focus. But I've also had the opportunity to see some of the country and the landscape and go hiking and yeah. do some things like that, especially over the summer when my load was a little less. And so it's different in that way. Also, yeah. one thing that's specifically different between the two companies is at the American Shakespeare Center, after shows open in the summer, they remain open throughout the course of the fall. So it was okay. nice here to get to work on Measure for Measure this summer uh -huh. and close Measure for Measure and be done with that and then start working on Boeing Boeing instead of having everything carry through to the end of the contract. Right so on. it's a nice, it changes up a little bit more around here, which is nice. Cool. What about uh, now that you've been here? This is your third year, sir? Fourth. Fourth year. A, a lot of our audience will probably remember you as Ophelia. If they don't, shame on them. <laughs> incredible. Um, Thanks. But well, can you say anything? We, we like to talk about the, the festival experience here. You've probably heard that term thrown around. Mm -hmm. uh, I know what that means you know, for an administrator. I know what that means from the perspective of an audience member. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean uh, for a performer? Is, is there something different? of the festival experience, is that a thing for, for you that oh, maybe is different? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, most theaters, you don't have the access mm -hmm. to the audience that we do here. Um, we have opportunities to engage in talkbacks, give backstage tours, do curtain call lunches. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great. You know, they have access to us and we have access to yeah. them, which is really neat to sort of talk to them and figure out What's landing? What do they like? What speaks to audiences now and stuff yeah. like that? And also, they're just such kind people, you know, to give up their income and give up their time and come support the festival and the arts. And it allows us to do what we love. So mm -hmm. it's, I always like to go out the door that allows me to see the audience afterwards. Mm -hmm. So if someone wanted to say something, they have that opportunity. Oh, very You cool. know, and if they take the time, if they take the time to say something or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, want to stop by, you know, that way we can chit-chat and stuff and have a moment. And actually, awesome. um, I, I have mm -hmm. I have relationships with patrons, um, specifically Marion Dennison. Uh, you know, <laughs> she comes every year, and one year she asked if, you know, we could have lunch, and I went and had lunch with her and her husband, and, and it's been great, and every year they come back, we usually meet up and 
go to lunch and catch up and stuff, and she'll send me pictures of her dogs and <laughs> things like that. And she's, you know, it's oh, a really so cool. special thing. And yeah. it's, you know, it's not intrusive in any way, uh-huh. for me at least. You know, I can't speak for everyone. I don't think anybody ever thinks it's intrusive, but some people value their private time, you know, uh-huh. if they need time in between shows or something yeah. like that. But it's just really special that we have this access to the audience and can engage in conversation with them. And it's just, it's really neat. And not, not every theater has those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you have a talk back where you're on the stage and yeah. they're in the house, but you never actually get to shake hands are, with them. Right. Right. There's still that put a face stage and people sitting down dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's right. still, yeah. There's still sort of a separation. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, everybody's intermingled, you know, yeah. you see everybody at the pastry pub and <laughs> yeah. or down at great harvest <laughs> or, true. you know, wherever, wherever you can walk to right yeah, exactly. across the campus. Yeah. yeah it's and great. there's definitely something that keeps people performers wanting to come back. That's I mean, cool. there are a lot of members of the company who have worked here for a number of seasons and mm-hmm. make this one of their artistic homes. Yeah. A lot well, of, a lot of people that could probably work in, you know, bigger venues if they wanted to do seem to come back here. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to get a performer's perspective on, on yeah. why that might be. Yeah. Well, and besides that, the audience is great, and there's beautiful hiking and stuff. I mean, yeah, the well, work here is very special. Right. Right on. The directors they bring in are great. The other company members, mm-hmm. I think David and Brian do a really great job of creating a company full of people that will mesh, mm-hmm. that will support each other, yeah. and that have the same artistic goals, you yeah. know, that are striving for perfection and telling the best story that we can tell. And yeah. So I think it's a really special place. Cool. So Tracy, do you identify with what Sarah says? I mean, yeah. you think she's crazy for brunching the patrons? I do. I do think that's cool. And in fact, because yeah. I have become friends with Sarah, I've met a couple of people that right she on. knew that I imagine if I have the opportunity to come back in future seasons, I will remember <laughs> and they will remember me. And, yeah. you know, so those relationships even now have already <laughs> begun. I'll be brunching with patrons before we know it. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, incredible. I do. I agree that it's a really special place to work. And, um, yeah. you know, I hadn't even ever seen anything here. I mm-hmm. just knew I wanted to come work here. Oh, I auditioned on. a couple of times before I was hired. And, you know, it's um, it has a certain kind of reputation in, in Shakespeare land. Yeah. Anyway. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Right on. So then as a performer, when you come out the front doors after a performance, I, I've been that bashful person in the audience, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe wanted to say, oh, great job. I really love the choice you make well, you know, with this line. Uh, so when a performer comes out the front door and is accessible to an audience, is that more or less an invitation and availability? So please, if you want to talk to me about my craft, about, about this performance, do. Or is that not necessarily so? I would say it's not necessarily so. You know, coming out after, after a hard show, like, God, if you're doing Hamlet or if you're oh, doing yeah, absolutely. Lear Othello, or something yeah. where you're just, you know, sort of exhausted. I... <clears throat> I guess it's just sort of by good or by guess, you know, yeah. in the moment, what what you as an audience member are feeling and what you as the actor are feeling. And But, yeah, if you come out the door, I mean, I think that's something that you should be prepared for. And even if it's just something like, thank you very much, but uh-huh. you really need to get going, that's fine. But yeah, Or if you have the energy to engage, you know, and you want to. I, so I wouldn't say it's like a free a pass universal or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think it depends on the person. But generally, much so. you can take those sort of cues. You know, if yeah. you... Of course. Sarah and I, we chat with people at the backstage door often. And yeah. I know that's true for a lot of actors in the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, and some people are better at taking nonverbal cues. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> some people are very couth. Yeah. And yeah. a handful of, you know... 
I would say it's yes, more often than not, go up, say hi. You right know. on. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, unless you're going to tell me how you would do it differently, then yeah, <laughs> yeah. then I'm I'm pretty open to hearing. Fluff, or if you fluff think on I the please. Tell me my costume. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, I'd like to ask all of our guests uh, a little bit about why why you do this. If, if there was a moment, maybe. Uh, in your youth, when you were a kid, where you knew, oh, the, the theater needs to be the center of my life because of this experience. Or maybe it was more of a gradual thing. Could each of you maybe kind of tell your entry point story? Sure. There, There is a massive sacrifice that people that want to live this life make. Exactly. And I've been humbled with each person I talk to that the, the lifestyle you mentioned, you know, having to travel around as often as every five, six, seven, eight weeks, it can wear you down. So sure. what? What? Uh, when did you know? When did each of you know that your life had to center around the performing arts? Well, in the first grade. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a, it was a good start. I, I did play Presto the Barber in the first grade, and, and that was a life-changing experience. But no, that's not <laughs> it. That's not the moment. I actually, I don't have a very specific moment. I was just sort of always on this path. And my parents generously took me to the theater often and they loved the theater and they loved storytelling uh-huh. and it it was always a place that I felt enchanted and at home and so I started to do theater like many of us you know in school as an extracurricular activity I did not know that you could go to college in major in theater <laughs> I didn't know that you could really become a professional actress yeah. as far as I was concerned it was kind of a, a mythical path yeah. <laughs> and then I had a teacher in high school who said you know you really ought to think about pursuing this professionally and I was like what you can do that and neither of my parents had been to college I was a first generation college student so um, I just I happened into the professional path truly but now it is so clear to me that I couldn't be doing anything Anything else in the world yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, I do have a story if you oh I do there was a moment I'm gonna gonna ignore the subtext of what you said I was 10 years old um, and my whole family was jocks. We, I played four or five different sports over the course of the year. I was swimming year round. Every Saturday in the summer was at the pool. I was mm-hmm. a lifeguard. Like I was taking swim lessons. I was trying to be a lifeguard. It Total was, jock. Yeah. And my mother wanted to give us some culture. <laughs> so there was a theater, not unlike the Utah Shakespeare Festival, American Players Theater in Spring Green, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And so once a summer, we would go down there for a play. Mm-hmm. And I, it was one of our first plays down there. It was The Merry Wives of Windsor. And Jonathan Smoots was playing Falstaff. And (laughs) it started to rain. And the actors left the stage. But nobody moved in the audience. Because they were going to wait it out. Uh And everybody just started bringing out ponchos. And thank God Mom had brought some. And so the four of us put on our little ponchos and sat there and... Rained for 15 minutes. The crew came out and they squeegeed the stage. And then the performance resumed. And Jonathan came out as Falstaff with the horns, the Hearns Oak uh-huh. scene at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. And he'd been doing this gesture like um, a bull, like scraping the ground with uh-huh. his foot throughout the whole play. And he sort of, you know, set up the scene. And I don't remember what the lines were, but he punctuated it with the, the stomping of his foot. And he mm-hmm. kind of roared the last word. 
And all of a sudden from up above, there was this huge crack of thunder. And it was like, just magic. And he looked up at the sky and he looked at the audience and just went, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He just roared. And it was like that. It was, it was real magic. That's cool. That's what I want. Right on cue. I was like, I have to do that. That was, it was real life magic, you know, no tricks. It was actual magic. So I'd always wanted to do it ever since. Right on. Then, and then like Tracy, I didn't really know that it was something that you could could go into. Right. Yeah. You know, and I kept trying to, you know, I talked to my mom, like, how do I do it? And she said, well, maybe you could try ushering at APT and then talk Mm -hmm. to someone about it or whatever. And I started college as a swimmer. (laughs) <laughs> because I I was competing in college. And then, you know, the choice between becoming a professional swimmer and a professional actor, being a professional actor was a more lucrative choice. Yeah. So uh, that, that's fair. <laughs> it was the well, better career option. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Accounting was not an option. No, no. Not, no. Swimming or acting? Swimming or acting. Cool. I've got to ask, as the flight attendants in the show, yes. um, this is a play that came out, I think, originally in 1962. Mm-hmm. right about the same time that the feminine mystique came out, like the beginning of the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. Is there, a, just a little bit maybe, does your inner feminist, like... Reject Yeah, is, is there part of you that's like, <laughs> I'm like totally manipulated by some dude, and it's only technology that puts me in the position to put him in his place. I, 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 I gotta ask, you can, you can hey, dog slap me. I was gonna say, well... The play does have some justification for the women in the end. Oh, so absolutely. We're the only ones who get what we want exactly. at the end. <laughs> exactly. And so that is a little kernel that I just hold on to yeah. the whole first half, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. So I'll go ahead and say, at the end, um, Gabriella and Gretchen, who are now belonging mm-hmm. to their... Uh, respective men, Bernardo and mm-hmm. Robert. Oh, I want to say Roberto, but it's just Robert. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, basically say, oh, well, now that we're going to be married, you can't come into my room and spend the night with me anymore. And they <laughs> hand him the, their men, their pillows, and close the doors. And Gloria... Gloria gets exactly what she wants, uh, which is which is a married life. Yeah. But really, she it's money. <laughs> and it, it, she up and leaves the situation. Yeah. Because she says, nope, I got something better. And she's very practical about it. And, and she leaves. Yeah. And even Bert or Bert uh-huh. or Berta <laughs> or Bertie <laughs> did. Uh, she gets what she wants. Yeah. You know, she, you know, so yes, the, the scheme of the play is set up by the men. And it seems that the women are being duped and the men have all the power. But really, the whole play, the men are the ones caught in the meat grinder. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're the one calling the shots. And then at the end, we all get what we want and yeah. we say what we want. Well, and you know and we what insist you want, on it. right? Yeah. We know yeah. what we want and we insist on it. And we, we bend them to our wills. <laughs> and we win. We you do. win, ultimately. So the kernel that you mentioned is big enough. Yeah, big well, and it was really interesting. When this fir- play first came out, uh-huh. it was a flop over here in the United States. It was really successful in, in France and Germany, right? But then, and, and London. And London, um, yeah. But that's in right, the London. U.S., it was not. And the speculation is, is that it was too close to home. You know, there wasn't yeah. enough distance from it. There were still men living these lives and women sort of at the beck and call, you know, in yeah. opposition to the feminine mystique, yeah. as you said. So... 
it needed a little space. Uh-huh. And now we can sort of laugh at that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost whereas, a period piece. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, and the costumes are right. Right, totally. It's exactly. totally period. Yeah, right. That's something Wonderful. you've seen it. I mean, going back to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, like in film, people love that 60s look. There's something appealing yeah. that keeps coming back. It's nostalgia. You yeah. Know? Right on. Thank you both so much. You're incredible. This was delightful. Thank you. Thanks. So, Good times. Thanks very much. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you for listening to the Play On podcast at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Catch us next week for our conversation with more actors. Thank you.